through God's servants Paul and Timothy. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, the whole cosmos, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. God bless the reading of these words from the Lord. Sometimes our vision simply fails us. We've all experienced those moments of groping about in the dark, unable to see because of a distinct lack of light in our surroundings. Most of us have stories about hitting our shins on the coffee table or stubbing our toes on the sofa, or if we're in an unfamiliar place, even running smack into the wall because there was no light. At least that kind of darkness has an easy fix, though. You just turn on the light. Other times, our vision fails just because of age. We've simply gotten to that point in our lives where our vision has begun to dim, and it's getting harder and harder to see those street signs or to find our jewelry. Still others of us, myself included, have had vision problems for almost as long as we can remember. I know a story of this little boy, about eight years old, whose parents had taken him to a Texas Rangers baseball game. All sorts of sensations abounded here. The feel of the humid air, the smell and taste of the various foods mixed with that freshly mown grass smell. All thousands of people wearing their colorful rangers paraphernalia and the sounds, oh, the sounds, the roaring crowd, moaning with the bad plays and cheering with the good ones. And in the middle of all of this, that little eight-year-old boy is sitting with his family and he is bored out of his mind. And it's really hard to stay you know, out of the spirit of the game because, you know, when everyone's cheering, you want to cheer too. It's exciting. You want to be a part of it. And he is singularly uninterested in the goings-on of the field. You know, he's looking up at his parents, down at his hot dog, and just kind of looking around, and he is numb with boredom. Why is he so bored? And his mom says, oh, they're throwing the ball to third base. And the little boy replies, what? What are you talking? There are people down there? As soon as they got home from the game, they went and had the boy's vision tested and discovered he was so short-sighted he had had no idea there was even a game going on. 
He was bored not because he had no interest in baseball, but because his vision had failed him. Sometimes our perspective changes drastically because of events in our lives. These can be good or bad. On the bad side, the death of a loved one is a huge example of this. There's a drastic perception shift for those of us who have lost family members and friends when we walk into that kitchen where they used to cook, and the kitchen hasn't really changed, and yet that space is still inexplicably empty. Another truly painful example of this is rape. Women and men on the receiving end of sexual assault rarely see the people around them in quite the same way after the fact. A simple trip down the sidewalk now may be littered with anxiety and looks over the shoulder, wondering why someone is starting to walk so close to me, not knowing whom to trust. There are happier examples of drastic change, after all. I never noticed a Honda CRV in San Angelo until my wife Julie got one. And the day she got one, I found five in our apartment complex. After you finally get married and move in together, you quickly realize that that makeup doesn't happen magically. (laughs) And all of a sudden, he's making noises he never once made on a date. Or when you finally decide to have a baby, and there are babies everywhere. They're all over the place. Or when you finally have the baby, and you realize how precious the life held in your arms is. And suddenly... Your apartment or house kind of looks like a miniature death trap full of unstable bookshelves and open electrical sockets and Lord knows what else. And yet, in a way, that baby still kind of brightens up that space in a way you can't quite explain. It's the same space, but it's different. For the Apostle Paul, one of the authors of the letter we just read from, he had a solid dose of good and bad drastic change in a very short amount of time. On his way to arrest and punish early Christians in the city of Damascus, he's riding on his faithful steed, and this blast of light hits him in the face, and he's knocked to the ground, and he can't see anymore, and this unknown light source is saying, why are you persecuting me? And for several days after that, he's left blind. And he had to wait until one of those Christians, one of the ones whom he had specifically been sent to persecute, had come to him and lifted a veil from his eyes. After that, he became one of the followers he once so avidly pursued and eventually co-authored this letter we just wrote and most of the rest of what we call the New Testament. Paul's vision changed drastically, both literally and figuratively, because of the event of meeting Jesus on the road. But I suspect that more often than not, our perspective changes over a long period of time without us even realizing it's happening. It's super obvious in cheesy romance movies, especially in the ones where the two main characters hate each other at the beginning. Oh my gosh, I can't stand the way she chews. And then by the end, he's like, I love the way she eats. And we're like, yeah, it's all that coming. But it took time, and it's easy for us to see because we're on the outside of that. For the parents of the kids sitting up here at the front, how long did it take you to realize that that sweet little baby who was, you know, just yesterday dribbling applesauce down their face is now drooling over the possibility of getting a driver's license and getting out of the house when they want to. It didn't happen all at once. Even being able to see them that way took time. What about someone who wants to learn 
photography. You know, a girl decides she's going to learn photography, and so she starts taking some classes. And after a while, she begins to notice that light and color don't quite look the same anymore. It's the same light, it's the same color, but her perspective on those things has shifted. This last example is peculiar because she didn't notice that change at first, even though, in a way, she was really changing on purpose. She meant to learn something, but had no idea what that would do to her perspective. However, the Apostle Paul tells us that our perspective has indeed changed. We don't see anyone from a human perspective anymore. Even if we used to see Christ that way, now we don't. Because if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation with new eyes and everything. And what would some of us give for new eyes? But for those of us who don't get blinded by Jesus on the side of the road, how do we get new eyes? It may happen drastically, of course. There are radical conversion stories of people who suddenly and abruptly give up everything they knew to follow Christ. But those stories are exceptional. When they happen, it's incredible, especially to see a drug addict quit drugs immediately, cold turkey, and then that's never a part of his life anymore. However, stories like that may be fairly uncommon in a place like this where a lot of us have been Christians for nearly our whole lives. Some of us are born and raised in the church. A lot of you were born and raised in this church. Our eyes have become accustomed to seeing things in very particular ways. And not all of those ways are ways of seeing things because we call Christ our Lord. These are things like viewing the homeless as something less than human or assuming that all of them want to be homeless. There's no way of knowing that. Not really, not unless we're going to take the time to speak with him and figure that out. He could just as easily be a war veteran who simply can't shake the trauma and so can't keep any people or any job in his life. Things like seeing anyone of any number of different categories as less than human because they're somehow different from us. Oh, he's just a Muslim. She's just a lesbian. He has Down syndrome. This has a lot to do with the sermon Kevin preached several weeks ago on Isaiah 56, where he says, don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. That's what he says about himself. In this moment with Paul, this is how we see others. And we fail to see any possible good in them because they are less than. In other areas of our lives, our impaired vision prevents us from seeing the bad as much as the good. It's that poor young lady who comes up to you with her eyes crossed and her eye blacked who says, well, he apologized after he hit me this time and he said he's sorry and he told me he loves me. I think he meant it this time. These are false perspectives. They're not real. They don't work that way. And they have to change. Because if they don't change, then we don't get to participate in what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. Paul has been building up to this point in the letter for a while. He's been talking about different ministries, you know, since chapter 3. You know, back in chapter 3, he tells us Moses received this law from God. And when he received that ministry, it was a ministry of death and condemnation. Because that was really all the law could do on its own, Paul says. But it was still a ministry, valuable and glorious because it came from God. 
In fact, the glory of this ministry stayed with Moses so that his face glowed. It glowed so brightly that the people of Israel couldn't stand to look at it. It freaked them out. They're like, you need to hide that. So he began to wear a veil over his face. And how difficult it must be to minister to those that you can't really see fully because of a veil on your face. You know, that ministry is chiseled in stone. It was glorious, but it could only possibly bring death and condemnation. Paul contrasts this with the ministry of the Spirit, which is written on human hearts, which brings life and justification. This is the ministry which lifts the veil off of Moses' face, which allows that glory to shine into the hearts of the people, into our hearts. And how much better can we see those around us when we don't have a veil over our faces? Paul goes on in chapter 4 to say that this ministry of life that dwells in us is a treasure, a treasure kept in a clay jar, just to remind us that it's really God's awesome power at work in us, and then we're lucky to be a part of that. Near the end of chapter 4, he tells us that our outer nature, that clay jar, that old perspective is wasting away. And then if we don't let go of that perspective that wasting away part, we can't let that awesome stuff on the inside do its job. And we're refusing to let God perform his reconciling work through us. We're refusing to take up that obligation. So, if you're having trouble changing perspective, it's okay. Because God is renewing our inner nature day by day by day, Paul says. If seeing others in a new way is difficult for you and it seems hard, you're in good company. I work at Chick-fil-A. I was thinking a lot about ministry of death yesterday. (laughs) This stuff takes practice. That little boy at the Rangers game still had to go to the eye doctor. He had no idea what he was in for when he went to Walmart that day to pick up his glasses. I had no idea what I was in for when I went to Walmart that day. I put on those glasses, and all of a sudden, there are words everywhere. There are signs hanging from the ceiling advertising all these things. There are words on people's shirts. I can see, oh, mommy, that's where they keep the Reese's cups. Let's go that way. Oh, now I can see it. I walk outside, and in giant white letters on the side of the building, it says, Walmart. And I had never noticed it before. How could I miss that? Those letters are huge. All of a sudden, trees aren't brown and green blobs. They have leaves and branches and bugs crawling on the bark, and there's bark. There's all this detail in the tree, and those bugs have legs, and there are veins in the leaves, and there's dew on those leaves. Finally, I could see at school what the teacher was writing on the board, and there are all these cool posters in class. Oh, that's not just a blob of color. There's a dog on there telling me the difference between a plus and a minus sign. But wearing glasses wasn't easy for me. I had to remember to put them on every single morning so that I could see all of those wonderful things I had always missed because I was used to missing them. I also had to remember to take them off every night so they wouldn't get bent or broken. Frankly, my mother didn't want to buy new glasses that soon. But more importantly than that, broken glasses aren't worth anything. And you know what? 
Much like my first experiences with glasses, we have to put those glasses on again and again and again. But it's also true that they can come off super easily. It's that easy. And it may happen in those moments where our emotions get the better of us when someone has wronged us somehow. Valuable though our emotions are, sometimes we just lose it. We get dummy jacked. And, you know, it's like that moment when you're driving and someone cuts you off in traffic and those glasses fly off and you start saying a handful of names that you're kind of ashamed to mention at church. And you have to be reminded to put them back on. Reconciliation glasses come off pretty easily at first because they're unnatural. We're not used to them. I mean, how many of you, ever when you got a new prescription of glasses or contacts or whatever, you put them on and it gives you a headache? It's not normal at first. But we have to keep putting them on again and again and again until we get used to those glasses. Because the longer we wear them, the more natural it feels. And the farther we get from not wearing glasses, we get to the point where we can't even imagine not having our glasses on anymore. I remember the first time I got contacts and I hopped into the shower and I could see what I was doing. I'm like, that's what the soap bottle says. Because otherwise it was just foggy. But we get to that point where it's so natural to wear them, to put them on, that it is difficult to slide this way. But it still happens. And we have to keep stepping that way and keep putting on those glasses. My birthday this year was exactly one week after my grandmother's funeral. And I had a really long, hard day at Chick-fil-A that day. And because I was hurting and struggling with the fact that Honey's not going to call and wish me happy birthday that day, I took off my glasses that day. It happened a lot. I wasn't nearly as gracious as I ought to have been. And this isn't just a theoretical faith issue This isn't something that I can slap the spiritual label on and it doesn't actually have to change anything. It doesn't work that way. Because if you say you follow Christ and don't keep putting on these glasses, at best, we're either hypocrites or liars, and at worst, we're lunatics for doing something other than what we say we believe. Because if the practice of putting on new glasses of reconciliation doesn't come easily for you, that's okay because it's not supposed to come easily. Some good news is that we're not putting those glasses on alone. You're not the only four-eyed nerd on the playground anymore. Everybody should be wearing them. And anytime those glasses fall off, there's someone there to pick them up and hand them back to you. You know, this is why we do this in community. I can't possibly do this by myself. Because at some point, I'm going to be the idiot who forgets he's not wearing his glasses. And we're all going to experience that. We are co-workers with God in this work of reconciliation. And we're co-workers with each other. God is working to reconcile not just the world, but everything God made. Because we get to participate in that ministry of life and unveiled glory... We no longer see anyone or anything according to that ministry of death and condemnation. 
even if we used to know Christ that way. And I used to know a Jesus who was all about death and condemnation. And that's not the Jesus I serve anymore. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And he or she contains what is contained within us, that ministry of reconciliation, that life and beauty and light. Because God has passed on to us his reconciling work that he began at the cross. We're only three weeks away from Easter. Why not start reconciliation now? The last bit of today's text tells us that now is the acceptable time when God is listening, that this is the day of salvation. Another way of reading that is this is the era of salvation, the season. No longer are we in that winter of death and condemnation. But like spring comes slowly, we are shifting into the springtime of life and spirit and beauty and reconciliation. God is doing some wonderful things, and he makes some pretty great glasses. But we have to keep putting them on over and over and over again. And these aren't glasses you see with people. These are the real people around you. This is your obnoxious, noisy neighbor or that overly political, you know, uncle. This is that person at work who irks you every single day and you just want to punch him in the face. These are the, you know, the Mitchells and the Donnas and the Ambers and the Stevens and the Jeffs that we know. Because seeing that old, through those old broken glasses, or having no glasses at all, has got to stop. So if you need prayers to remember to put on your glasses, or you need prayers to finally get your own pair of glasses, to be reconciled to your neighbor, or to your family member, or to your enemy, the leaders of this congregation will be glad to pray with you. They'll be standing around the edges of the auditorium waiting for you, and hopefully, hopefully, they're wearing their glasses of reconciliation right now. And they will be ready to truly see you. So come as we stand and sing and get ready to go out and practice seeing things in a spirit of reconciliation through God's mighty power.